Fifteen years ago this month, the Cato Institute launched the Cato Daily Podcast, and to mark the occasion, we're hoping to give you a token of our appreciation and ask a small favor. Visit cato.org slash cdp15 to get a pair of vinyl Cato Daily Podcast stickers in the mail and give one of them to a friend who might enjoy timely libertarian perspectives on issues of the day. That website, again, is cato.org slash cdp15. And now more than ever, thank you for listening. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 14th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Engaging in civil discourse means presuming goodwill, understanding the best version of the opposing argument, and engaging with that argument directly. Greg Remke runs economicthinking.org. He's been helping young people prepare for debate for decades, making sure that liberty is always a key element in policy debates. In doing so, he's learned a few things about having better discussions with people people who disagree with you. We spoke last month. Arnold Kling is somebody that I have enormous respect for, and he has put together, I guess it's sort of a fantasy intellectual teams, uh, and that is uh, people that you would want to have arguing on your side of stuff, and people that you may disagree with, but that you respect on the other sides of issues. That is, they don't engage in a lot of uh, bad argumentation or bad faith argumentation. They take your positions seriously and engage with the substance of those claims. So to the extent that we want to be like that, we want to be one of those people who is well regarded for making a case, for respect, showing respect, which is to say engaging directly with the arguments that uh, other people make. Uh, how do we do that? So it's a challenge in discussing ideas, uh, particularly when you have passion for your position and you know believe you're right. To uh, uh, it's hard even to hear the other side's claim, you know their statement, their position. So the recommendation of the steel manning idea is to first off restate the argument the other side has made and 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 improve it. Where you you know you show respect for what they've said you know are you, you're you're so you're saying to me that you believe this and if you can improve their case even you know engage with the strongest version uh, and sometimes we're angry sometimes we're in a hurry sometimes we're already mad about something else and we don't do that uh, the advantage of the debate format is that you've got an impartial observer who's the judge in a round and so you're in a sense you're speaking to the judge. Um, and so you're, you're compelled to be, to, to be fair or to appear to be fair to the judge. And that's just a good habit. So young people that do that are in the habit of understanding what the other side or what their, uh, someone they're discussing ideas, what they actually said. So, uh, this is a process known as steel manning. Yes. And, um, it, it's the opposite of straw manning, right. which is to present uh, the other side's arguments as weak, as basically indefensible on their face. Um, so steel manning is a process of trying to argue with the best presentation from your perspective of the other side's argument. What are some ways to do that? Well, the... Uh, uh the Long Now Foundation holding debates in the Bay Area, I believe, is a former debater writing about this, explaining it. 
the first speaker in a debate gets up and makes their case, the other side stands up and they have to restate the case to the satisfaction of the first. So they have to say, so you're saying, and, and once the once the first side is satisfied that its case has been stated properly, then they proceed to give their counterargument. So in a sense, you're getting agreement on what you're actually talking about uh, because it's so easy to shade off the other, uh, someone's argument to the weakest point when they say, wait a minute, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that. Yeah, just latch onto the weak thing and just hammer on that and ignore the, the stronger yeah. substance. Yeah, and 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 some and it's true that when people are speaking, particularly when they're they're excited or intense about an idea or feel there's an injustice that needs to be addressed, they don't always make the best. Uh, uh, even if they know it, they don't always express it as as, as best as they could, and they're probably getting the idea wrong in the first place. So if you if you take the time, you know, to help them make the strongest case then you can respond with what you believe are the weaknesses of that case. And many benefits of that. First off, it's always possible that we're wrong. <laughs> it's conceivable, right? And we're not going to find that out unless we try to understand arguments against uh, the ideas we have. I've never understood straw manning. I mean, other than it's it may be uh, satisfying in uh, a, a sort of a, a dark way uh, to, to dunk on somebody. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like you're wasting your time, and you're wasting the time of the person you're arguing with, and you are creating potentially animosity where there doesn't need to be any. Right, right. So, from the perspective of trying to uh, get to a uh, not just a win, but get to an agreement, it really is helpful to at least, uh, as they say, seek first to understand. Right. And it's a challenge because, in a sense, you sort of have to pretend that you don't care about ideas you really do care about. You know, the, 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 the position of the other side is, might be so bad, you know, 20 million people died, you know, something like that. But you have to just step back and try and figure out what they're really getting at. And, uh, you know, there's so many examples of slightly misguided or way misguided uh, ideas I, uh, you know, see it on Facebook with former debate students posting one thing and another, and they're, they've got something so mixed up and you can't just jump on them. Instead, you try and say, well, what, you know, what is it you're getting at? Or, or why, why do you feel that way? And you're trying to find out where they're coming from. Is emotion the enemy here? Emotion is a challenge. It, it gets us going, but it's a, it's a challenge. It's it's hard to be unemotional about ideas that are so important. Uh, but you know, the most impressive people are people who say these incredible, profound statements without, you know, screaming them. <laughs> you can feel the the depth of their belief without a wild, emotional, confrontational ideas. So. I think it might be helpful for people who are engaging in a discussion, even just a just an offhanded. Uh, chit chat over a drink with a friend with whom you disagree to understand that uh, no one in a position to make a decision on the issue that you're discussing will have their mind changed by you two having this discussion in this particular place in this particular time. The stakes are extremely low. Right. The fate of the world doesn't depend on our conversation. Uh, 
But our, you know, what's important, Leonard Reed at, at, at the Foundation for Economic Education used to deal with so many people who would say, gosh, I, I know your ideas. I know freedom is so important, but I try to tell people and they just run away. And Leonard Reed would always say, well, your job is to provide society with one improved person, you know, improve your own understanding, your own ideas. Uh, they will come to you for your opinion. And when that happens, uh, then you've got the floor. But if you're racing around after other people telling them what they should believe, that's just not going to work. Well, and yet there are millions of people, it seems, that have made that their raison d'etre. Yeah, it's well, and it's again, it, and I, I suppose I would argue for them in the steel manning idea. I'd be sympathetic. They ran across these ideas. One of the people at this conference was a sociology PhD and then ran across free market ideas or market classical liberalism. And he is, you know, excited to share the ideas, angry to have been de deceived in so long. So, and if I come to him and say, well, just relax, you know, don't get excited. Well, that's, that's a real challenge. The passion of a convert. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm all into this nutrition and public health stuff and I can't stop talking about it. And so that's unfortunate for my friends. <laughs> but so it, in these ideas, again, you're trying to present the other side's argument as best you can. And in the context of, of debate, formal in school or otherwise, you're, you're learning new ideas and you're trying to figure out how to communicate them. I think about this. I go walking every day, listen to podcasts. I hear new things that are just fascinating on your podcast and on nutrition podcasts that I listen to. And I want to understand it. So I'm pondering these ideas, but also as soon as I get to the next person, living person, I can't, I want to try and tell them what I just learned. I want to share these ideas. Uh, and that's a challenge because you're, you, we're sort of getting, as a meme, you're infected by a new idea and you're spreading it to others. Uh, but how do you do that in a way that's, first off, you have to find out, are they interested? You know, do they want to hear this? Politely, they'll listen for a little bit, but when are you overstepping the norms of society by, you know, trying to tell them what you just heard? Yeah. Some people's speaking style is a treatise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, you know, and it's, some people are talkers, talk too much, and you have to listen as well as talk, right? For young people who are interested in being uh, the strongest at arguing the things that they believe strongly in, uh, what are some, some books or some resources that they could access to, to hone that as a skill? And it really is a skill. Good question. So there are a number of online uh, organizations, uh, Ethos Debate, DFW Debate, uh, uh, and many others that are, particularly when you can do things online now in terms of video conferencing, where they're actually teaching people these speech and debate skills. Uh, Rose Debate is a alumni homeschoolers who are providing debate classes in public school or in private schools around the country. Uh, they find that the kids' parents are attending the classes. Uh, just to learn more about speaking skills, English and, and uh, debate skills. But there are certain key components. This idea of uh, one of the exercises they do at debate camps, one kid makes a claim to another in the circle. The other has to restate that claim before making the counterclaim. And then it goes to somebody else. And the idea is you're practicing listening 
and restating the ideas before you make a counter argument. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in addition to, to understanding that you're not going to change the fate of the world by uh, winning some conversation uh, with a friend, uh, is it is it important then to just sort of let go of the idea of winning? Because these debate competitions, they are about winning. One of the challenges with sports uh, is, you know, half the teams lose every round. And so in basketball, you spend half your time losing or the overall people do, but you gain skills. So I think that's the the deal in debate. You gain skills. And uh, it's important for the debate coaches to make the point that this is a competition, but it's also cooperation. And you're trying to get to the truth. And again, yeah, people get wound up in winning and I don't blame them. It's, it's a, it's a craze in a sense. It provides us huge incentives and motivation, but it's not perfect. I, uh, started this conversation by talking about Arnold Kling and I just reminded again, he has an excellent book that is helpful in this area, the three languages of politics, which I'll commend to absolutely everybody, not as a tool for convincing someone of your position, but as a tool for understanding, uh, the core of why someone might believe this versus that. Yeah. I've been teaching from one of his other books on institutional wealth and how uh, you mon- you you look at the world, the wealth in the world, and much of it is uh, inarticulate. It's just institutional uh, order of some kind. It's not physical things. It's not even human capital. Uh, it, that's another point in all this is having facts and history. If the debate topic is on transportation policy, you want to know something about the history of transportation in the U.S., for example. You want to know the difference between uh, shipping and railroads and cars in terms of costs. So there's there's a search for knowledge. And so, you know, one of the things when you lose in a debate round, you you get to find out why. You read the ballots, you read what the judges say, and you could say, well, those those dumb judges, they made the wrong decision yet again. Uh, but really, you want to understand where, where your facts were wrong or where the judge thought they were. So you're, you're doing two things at once, which is interesting. You're learning about the idea and you're learning about how to communicate it. Because you may think, I said this, but the judge says, I said that. So, you know, the debate gives you an active learning you're not only reading a book or listening to a podcast, but you're sharing the ideas. It's like in school, we write a paper. We learn so much more writing a paper than just doing a multiple choice. But imagine writing a paper and then having another student attack it, <laughs> telling you why you're wrong or why it's imprecise. Now, that doesn't sound like fun to anybody, but really that makes for a better paper and better understanding. And that debate is sort of an active learning. You do your preparation for the topic and deep reading, and then you go present your case that you're astonished with, and then you get it exploded by an opponent, and you go back and rebuild it. And it's amazing what happens. My debate talks to students, they're easy in the summer, but a month into the debate season, the students start correcting me, and they start asking questions I don't know the answer to, because they've become active learners. You know, public policy researchers, even though they're only 14, 15, 16 years old. Greg Remke directs economicthinking.org. 
This is it. Today is the 15th anniversary of the Cato Daily Podcast. We're giving you, our listeners, a small token of our appreciation. Visit cato.org slash cdp15 to learn more.